Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Gary Berger has been a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary leader, as well as conference president. This sermon was preached in 1988 at the God's Bible School and College Fall Revival in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's a very riveting sermon entitled, Awakened, But Too Late. I know you'll enjoy this classic message. Keep passing it on and on. Praise God for the notes of victory. Amen. So good to have each one of you in the service this evening. Amen. We're going to turn to the book of Joshua this evening, there to chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. <clears throat> I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of awakened, but too late. Joshua chapter 7, we will begin reading with verse 3. The Israelites have just entered into the promised land. They have experienced a tremendous victory at Jericho when the walls were smashed by God because of their faith. Now let's begin reading with verse 3. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide he and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, Wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwell on the other side, Jordan? O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? 
And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed thing from among you. And throughout the remaining part of this chapter, we have the record for us of how God gave Joshua the plan of calling the tribes before him. The tribe of Judah was taken, and then the households, and then the families, and then the men. And Achan, the son of Zabdi, was chosen. And he confessed in verse 19 and 20. Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done, hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. God's word records some wonderful and some tremendous and some glorious happenings, but it also records some very frightening things. God had been very faithful to give instructions to his people, but there was one who didn't listen didn't pay attention. The writer of the book of Proverbs said that the one that covers their sin shall not prosper. But if we confess them and forsake them, we'll have mercy. Achan didn't do that. Sometime, some years ago, after the invention of the of the automobile and there was difficulty at railroad crossings. Several had lost lives at railroad crossings. The railroad company put out a little campaign to give a prize to the one that would come up with the best slogan to place at railroad crossings. There were many hundreds of people who sent in what they thought would be a good slogan. But the one who won used just three brief words. Stop, look, listen. And the railroad company adopted that and they placed that at railroad crossings throughout America. I guarantee you that if everyone at a railroad crossing would stop, look, listen, there would have never been another fatality or another accident at a railroad crossing. 
Stop, look, listen. I want to talk to you about being awakened. As I thought about this message, not everybody likes to be awakened. A little incident from my days here at GBS came back to me as I thought about being awakened. There was a man by the, or a boy by the name of John who was a fellow student my first year here. And he said to me, it was coming late in one semester, and he said, I need to start getting up early in the mornings. He said, I haven't been having my devotions like I should, and besides, I need to be up studying. He said, would you wake me up tomorrow morning? I said, what time, John? He said, 5.30. I said, okay, you leave your door unlocked, and I'll come down, and I'll wake you up at 5.30. The next morning, I lived on the Channing Street side, he was on this side. The next morning at 5.30, I made my way across the, through the hall down to where John's room was. As I got close to his room, I could hear his, his alarm buzzing. He had a clock radio also, and it was playing. I stepped inside the room, and he was just snoring away. All that racket, and I walked over, and I said, John... John, John, and I shook him, uh, uh. John, wake up, uh, uh. and I shook him three or four times, and I never did get him awake. By and by, later that day, he made his appearance, and he said, why didn't you wake me up? I said, man, your alarm was buzzing, your radio was blaring, and I said, I shook you three or four times. And I said, all I got was a grunt. That evening, he came to my room before he went to bed, and he said, now listen, you've just got to get me up in the morning. He said, I, 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 I wasted a lot of time today. You've just got to get me up at 5.30. I said, okay, John. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I'm going to come down there. And I said, you have your alarm clock going. You have your clock radio set. And I said, and if you're not awake, I said, I'm going to wake you, whatever it takes. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, I'm going to say your name three times, and I'll shake you a couple of times. And I said, then I'm going to dump a glass of water on you. He said, you wouldn't do that, would you? I said, if you don't wake up, I will. He said, well, okay, but I'll wake up. I said, all right. Next morning at 5.30, I made my way around. I stopped at the bathroom, got a glass of water. I could already hear the alarm buzzing, clock radio blaring. He had turned it up a little louder just to help out. I got down there, opened the door. I walked in. I said, good morning, John. I said, John, and I shook him. I said, John, it's time to get up. Wake up. And I shook him again. Mm -hmm. I thought I'd done my part, so I backed up, and I hit him with that glass of water. And he come up out of there, a spewing and a spluttering, and he said, I'm going to kill you for that. So I ran for my life, but he was so sleepy he couldn't, he couldn't catch me.
But I never will forget. You know, he never threatened to kill me in his life. He wasn't that kind of a guy. But he was so angry about getting, you know, even though he knew he had to get up and he had asked me to get him, there was just something about being awakened. We don't like to be awakened. But I've learned that it's awfully difficult and sometimes a bit dangerous for a preacher's part to awaken people. But in the sleep of sin, it is a deadly thing and it must be done. So I want you to notice with me to this evening, first of all, the circumstances. Then we'll notice the crime. Then we'll notice the confession. And then we want to look at the cost. The circumstances are very clear. They're very plain. God has been blessing his people, Israel, and has brought them across the Jordan River has brought them to Jericho, they have experienced a great and a mighty battle and victory. God has done a great thing for them. And so now they're going up to this little city of Ai, and the scouts bring back a report and say, man, there's nothing to them up there. There's only, there's only a few, so just send two or 3,000 of us up there, and we can take care of them. The 3,000... Israeli warriors went, but they ran before the people of Ai, and 36 of them died. The first thing that Joshua did is the first thing that most of us do when something goes wrong. We are so quick to accuse God. And began to say, Lord, what are, you, what are you doing? Did you bring us over here just to destroy us, just to mock us? What about your great name? Lord, what are you doing? We wish we'd have stayed on the other side of the river. But when things go wrong, oftentimes, as God points out here, it is not his fault at all, but it is really because of a problem in us. Now, Achan had a tremendous privilege. He was born of the Messianic tribe, the tribe of Judah. He had been acquainted with Moses. He had eaten manna. He had observed the pillar of fire. He had seen the pillar of cloud. He was one of them that was privileged just a few days ago to walk across the bed of the Jordan River, dry shod. He had seen miracles. He had seen the mighty power of God demonstrated. He had observed it firsthand. And in fact, right before the battle of Jericho began, if you were look back in chapter 6, they have just compassed the city around for the seventh time on the seventh day. And in this sixth chapter, verse beginning with verse 17, Joshua is speaking to them just before the, the, the trumpets are blown and the people are to shout and then the walls are going to fall down. But look in verse 18 where he says, And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing, and make of the camp of Israel a curse. And he reminded them that the gold and the silver and the vessels of brass and of iron were to be all for the Lord. 
That was the last thing. And then the trumpets are blown and the people shout and the walls fall down and a tremendous victory is won. Achan certainly had a tremendous warning. He knew it is a very, very serious thing to sin ignorantly, but when we do wrong willfully and knowingly, how terrible it is. Think of his crime. I've tried to think, perhaps during the fury of the battle that day, he saw those shekels of silver, he saw that wedge of gold, he saw that beautiful garment. And I think while all the, all the fury of the battle, the smoke of the battle, the noise of the battle, and people groaning, and all that's involved in a battle like that was, I can see him as he quickly takes those shekels of silver, the gold, wrap them in the garment, and puts them under a stone. He doesn't have time right now to do anything with them, and he goes on with the battle. And later in the day, when things have quieted down, perhaps under the cover of darkness, he slips back to the place where that he has hid those things. Because, you see, someone has suggested to him, Aiken, you've been out here a long time, been a long time since you've had a new suit of clothes. And Aiken, it's been a long time since you've had any money ready to call your own. Why don't you, why don't you just go ahead? After all, God probably doesn't really mean what he says. The reason I think that Satan suggested that to him is because that's the same way that he approached our first parents, and it is a bait that he has used to trap millions. God doesn't really mean what he says. It may have happened to somebody else, but surely it won't really happen to you. And so he committed his sin. He disobeyed what he knew God forbid. There are many people who do that. I'm thinking right now of a young girl who used to fight a tremendous battle. As far as I know, she has since just given up and just completely caved in and doesn't even try any longer. But I can remember in the day when she was endeavoring to live for God, she had a battle with jewelry and with makeup. And so whenever she was in a service and she would settle some things to go with the Lord, she would testify that God had convicted her and that she was giving up her jewelry and she was giving up all these other worldly things. And the next service, service and for a while... She would come to church and she would be very plain. But by and by, usually two or three months, and it would begin to appear. Very, very few things at first, but then by and by the full load. I talked to her and I said, Martha, what are you doing? Well, she said, <clears throat> you know... <clears throat> I really know what God wants me to do. I really do. 
and I know what it's going to cost me, but I know, too, that I might not last very long. So she said, when I go home, after telling everybody at church that I've made a clean sweep of it, she said, I take all my jewelry and all my makeup and everything, and I put it in a, little, in a plastic bag, and then I put it in another plastic bag. She was a farm girl, and she said, then I take it out behind the barn, and I, and I dig a hole, and I put it in that hole, and I cover it up, and I put a stone on it so I know where it's at. And then she said, when I start having spiritual problems, I know exactly where it's at, and I don't have to go buy it all over again. How foolish, but what a deadly spiritual game to play. What a deadly thing to do. Now, your problem perhaps is not in that particular area this evening, but anyone that would use that philosophy of disobeying what you know God wants you to do and what you know God wants you to be, it's a deadly game. His discovery. Don't you think his heart was pounding wildly as the tribes were brought before Joshua? And out of the 12 tribes of Israel, God nudged Joshua and he selected the tribe of Judah. And then the families of Judah march by and the family of the Zarites is selected. It's getting closer. He knows God is on his trail. And then the household of Zabdi is chosen. And then as those households that comprise Zabdi are, are, are marched by, Achan is selected. What a small concept some people have of God. There is no way that I could ever smuggle anything past God. And yet some people think that they can. I remember reading of a man in South Carolina. He had a neighbor that he desperately hated. At that period in the history of South Carolina, if you murdered someone and you were given the death penalty... You were sentenced to die by hanging. And that man was willing to pay that price. But he knew that they only left them hang so long, and so he went out, and for a period of several months before he was ready to commit his crime, every evening he would go out in his barn where he had a noose, and he would practice hanging. And he kept doing muscles until he had built up tremendous neck muscles. And then he got so that he could take the weight of his body coming down on it. And then he, he would stand on a box and kick the box out from under him. And he would come down to full weight of it. He was going to get by. Because let them hang him. And he can hang there. And then when they take him down, he's still alive. Can you imagine that man as he went that evening to murder his neighbor? He killed him in cold blood, walked back to his own farm, and waited for the authorities to come. Didn't try to cover his trail at all. The authorities soon came. 
there was a trial. He confessed that he had indeed killed his neighbor. Can you imagine how he felt when the gavel of the, of the judge came down in judgment that he was guilty and that he was sentenced to death and that he was to die in the electric chair? He was the first man to be executed in the state of South Carolina in the electric chair. I smiled like you do because it showed me another time the foolishness of man that would try to get by. He didn't even get, get by his fellow man. But more frightening, after his death, he faces the judgment. But if you could, if you could get by the great detective of your conscience, judgment is coming. Abel's bloody murder was uncovered. God knew all about it. Cain didn't want to openly confess to it, but God knew all about it. And even Joseph's brothers, when they had done that terrible crime to Joseph, and they covered it up for approximately 20 years, they let their dad think that something terrible had happened to him and that his son Joseph was dead. But all the while, God had everything in control and by and by their sin was revealed. Sin will always come out. I never will forget while I was a student here at Bible school I was called to preach a weekend meeting and I was I was excited because it was the first first time I'd ever had an experience like that. And when I went and I, and I preached that revival meeting, the Lord helped in a very gracious way. But on the Sunday night service, the Lord came in an unusual way. And there were many who were seeking the Lord that evening. And, and I had preached on sin. And I saw the man who had led the singing during that entire weekend meeting, had sung a special or two. I saw him not praying at the altar with the others, but he had the pastor over to one side, and I could tell it was a very serious and a very heated discussion that they were having. In just a few moments after they had just really been nose to nose, he turned and he just stomped out of the church. I was pretty concerned because just being a, a kid preacher, and I thought, well, I wonder if I did or said something that offended him or upset the church or, or whatever. And after there were victories at the altar and there were testimonies made, and, uh, after people had left and I was getting ready to come back to, to Bible school that Sunday night, the pastor said, Son, God really used you here this weekend. I said, well, I sure thank the Lord for every victory. But he said, son, he said something that I didn't even know and you didn't even know. But he said, that man that was talking to me, the song leader? I said, yes. He said, that man, he said, I didn't know about it. But he said he had been carrying on an affair with two different ladies right here in the church. And he said, he thought that I knew about it. 
and he thought that I had put you up to preaching about it. And he said, neither one of us knew about it, but he said, the Holy Ghost used what you said and got a hold of him. But he said, he's not repenting, he's only angry because he's been exposed. How foolish for someone to get angry at any preacher who has only preached God's word. Because when the Holy Ghost has been so faithful to speak to an individual how we ought to be broken and thankful that God loves us that much and has given us an opportunity to repent. Every thought, every word, every deed, every action, God will bring into judgment. Paul wrote and said that some men's sins are open beforehand, going on to judgment, but some men's sins they follow after. Oh, I want to send mine on to judgment. I want to have them under the blood. Notice his confession. There's even a progression that's revealed in his confession. He says, I, I saw, I coveted, and after I coveted, I took, and now they're hid. The progression. It doesn't seem that He's sorry for his sin. Probably more sorry just that he got caught. My first couple of pastorates were very small ones. And I had to work to supplement my income. And the Lord opened up a, a position in a local bank. Working in the bank there... One day, I remember a vice president of the bank. We were standing there. I'd just cashed some checks for some people, and there wasn't anybody at the window right then. And the vice president was standing beside me, an outstanding, attractive, worldly girl, had just been there and had walked out. There, And he said, Oh, what I wouldn't do if it wasn't for the fact that I'm the vice president of the bank in this town. You know what he was saying? If I didn't have a reputation, and if it wouldn't reflect on this bank, there's a lot of sin that I'd like to commit. You know, that's a frightening insight into a man's heart. Now, the only difference between that worldly bank vice president and some of the people around our churches is that he was more open about it. But God knows if that kind of an attitude or spirit or thought is in your heart. Oh, what I would do if the dean wouldn't find out. Oh, what I would do if the faculty wouldn't learn about it. Oh, what I would do if mom and dad would never get word of it. Oh, what I would do if I thought I could get by with it. Foolish, foolish, foolish. Aiken thought he could get by. 
You could never fool God. A young man who was about 20 years of age, he knew he ought to live for God. But he took his Bible when he was 20 years of age and he went out to the woods and he prayed and he said, Oh God, I'm only 20 years of age and I'd really like to live some. Lord, if you'll leave me alone for 10 years, I'll come back in 10 years and then I'll serve you. He said in... Ten more years when he was 30, he said, I took my Bible and I went out and I said, Lord, I'm still awfully young. And Lord, if you would just let me live like I want to live for another ten years, when I'm 40, then I'll serve you. But you know the progression of sin. And it kept getting greater grip on him than ever before until God was so merciful to that man until he lived until he was 81 years of age. God spared him for 61 years. But at the end of that 61 year period, his heart was so indifferent and he died without ever praying. You don't come to God just when you feel like you'd like to. But it's when God deals and when God draws. I want you to notice the awful cost. Awful, tragic results. I see the first one is in the defeat of the children of Israel. He is responsible for the death of 36 men. 36 men. Their homes are marked this evening by weeping widows and fatherless children because of the sin of one man. 36 families have aching and breaking hearts because of one man's sin. But then I notice it was not only the defeat of the children of Israel, but it was also the death of Achan's household. It is in the plural where it tells us that his sons and his daughters, along with all of his possessions. What a tremendous scene that must have been as as Joshua and the elders brought Achan to this place of judgment. And there stands Achan and Mrs. Achan and their sons and their daughters and their sheep and and all of their possessions along with the silver and along with the gold and along with the garment. And I tried to listen. I can hear Mrs. Achan as she's crying. And she's saying, Achan, why did you do it? We were getting along all right. After all, think what God's been doing. But then I hear the sobs of his his children. I hear children. 
as they cry and they say, Dad, why did you do it? Why did you do it, Dad? Do you know I think that's going to be one of the most awesome things on Judgment Day? In which is when parents have not been faithful. Some time back in the state of South Carolina, a young girl asked after the evening message if she could express herself back in a Sunday school room to the pastor, the evangelist. She said, you've been preaching this week and you've been preaching about being a Christian not only in public but in the home also. Pastor, do you think my dad's a Christian? He said, why? Well, sure. He said, he's the Sunday school superintendent here. He said, he's a song leader. He's a godly man. Don't have a better man in the church. She said, do you think my mother's a Christian? He said, well, I guess she's the best woman in the church. He said, she's the church treasurer and teaches a Sunday school class. He said, yes, I'd have to say that your mom and your dad are, are the best family I've got in the church. She began to cry, and she said, well, I'd just like to tell you something about him. She said, never once in our home have ever heard my dad or my mother pray. Never once in our home, except when we have company, someone here from the church, do we ever say grace at a family meal. Never once have they ever talked to me about being a Christian, about how, how, why we live like we live. Never once. I tell you what, I wouldn't want to face my children at the judgment bar of God and they be able to say something like that about me. Poor old Achan. Some of the dying words and some of the dying things that he heard as as the stones began to rain in on him was, Dad, you weren't faithful. You weren't faithful. You weren't faithful. And then sadly, it cost him his own life. Beside the death of 36 men, the defeat of Israel, the death of his own family, his own, he died without God. Oh, he woke up, but it was too late. It's a tragic thing to wake up too late. I read about an asylum fire. As I read that, I could notice that there were six different categories of people. It was a cold January night when it occurred. And when the rescuers went into that asylum to try to get the people out, they said that some of the people just laughed. They didn't understand that the place was on fire. And they didn't care that the place was on fire. And they just laughed. You're just fooling. 
There's no real fire. And some people respond that way in a service just like this. Oh, I've heard him preach serious messages like that for years. Nothing's happened to me yet. They said that there were some of them who were bedfast. And that when they approached them there in their beds and tried to get them out of their bed and onto a cart to take them out, they fought them off. They wanted to stay in the comfort of their own bed. Go away. Leave me alone. I don't want to leave here. They said that there was another group that was up and able to move about. And they literally fought the rescuers off. They said, get out of here. Leave us alone. We're not going out because it's cold. And they stayed. They said the fourth group began to call for help. And as the flames were roaring, they began to cry, help, help us. But it was too late. They said that when they went back in after the fire had been controlled years before there was a double door between a couple of wards there and some of the older patients in the confusion of the fire and all that was going on they ran for the wrong door the one that they remembered from months before and they were overcome and they perished and then they said the final group they started for the right door but they waited too late to start and they were overcome and they perished on their way to the door I'm talking to some people this evening that God has been endeavoring to help this week. You have a pet sin. It's secret right now. No one knows. It's covered. You think you're going to get by. You'll never get by. I pray to God that this evening you would awaken before it's too late. Would you stand, please? I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. That has been passed. I don't want to lose the fire. I don't want to lose the fire.